We're just going to pray before we start. God, we thank you that you are sovereign over everything. There is nothing you can't do. There is nothing you won't do. And there is nothing we can do that you don't love us for. Lord, we thank you that you are the creator of the universe. And Lord, that you are so personal. Jesus, that you know us intimately. And this morning, as we just spend a few moments looking at what you've laid on my heart as I share this morning, God, I pray that I would decrease and that you, Holy Spirit, would increase over me. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be ready to be changed and to be challenged, God, that we would be people that are not just hearers of the word, but doers of your word, Lord, that we would be a people this morning moved to action. So, Lord, we ask that you would have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everyone doing okay this morning? Yeah? Oh, look, that was a good first time sound. Love that. Um, this series, thank you, Martin. This series for me has just been phenomenal. We've kicked off. I think we've, everyone would agree, we've kicked off with a bang, haven't we? We've had message after message that, for me, on a personal note, has pulled every part of my heartstrings, has made me weep, has helped me to realign myself with God's heart for justice, and to know, more importantly, that who I am, that what I do, what I say to people, even down to my finances, can make a difference on both a micro and a macro scale in the lives of people. And so this morning, I just want to take some time to look at the notion of justice matters from a slightly different stance, bringing it back to our hearts and minds so that we can impact person after person just by being who we are. As we've spoken over these past Sundays, we've heard about it being easy to be so overwhelmed that we just choose not to then do anything. But I feel like if we can get to grips if we can get to grips with the idea of all doing something, of all doing something little, then we can make a mighty roar together. That not only our local streets and towns will be changed, but our country, county, our nation, and the nations. Therefore, that's justice being reproduced on a mighty scale. And this morning, I want to talk to us about the idea of making peace with your pain. For the past six to eight weeks, I've had this phrase ringing in my spirit. And as I've been pondering that, and the idea is since we started that theme, this theme, I couldn't quite figure out why and how the two things married up. But as I've prayed and sought Holy Spirit, I've had this revelation that if we can live our lives committed to working out the tough stuff, to praying it through, to dealing with long-term issues or trauma, maybe we're battling long-term sickness, maybe we are holding on to disappointment that, because our prayers haven't been answered. We might have to work some of that stuff out in counselling sessions or alongside someone in pastoral care. But if we can choose to work that stuff through, if we can use those difficult situations to show others how we've overcome or are overcoming, because we're all a constant work in progress, for others that particularly don't know Jesus, they have no active hope. If we can get to grips with the idea of that notion, we might be able to help some people, church. 
often people that we speak to, they have no way forward and they find themselves in cycles of self-medicating, whatever that may be. They, they put themselves on repeat prescriptions and figuring why nothing is getting better. The idea that if we can make peace with our pain, then we can only, not only get justice in the natural to help others on their own journey, but it actually gets justice in the spiritual. It gets justice in the heavenlies because what was meant for our derailment or um, our detriment or for us to not fulfill the purposes of God, because all of this stuff has happened, then we can actually turn it around for good, creating new purposes and fresh avenues of hope for so many people. As I explore this today, I just want to make a disclaimer. I'm aware that in this room, there will be all different levels of pain. Some people will have experienced a really beautiful, lovely life, and some people will have experienced lots of trauma throughout their life. At no point am I belittling or um, saying that, you know, get over it. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about if we can choose to work it out. Maybe we haven't experienced a lot of trauma, but we can choose to pray and figure out where in this world, where in our local landscapes, does God's heart burn with trauma for his people? Having walked the journey of forgiveness in my own personal life, for people that have done terrible and traumatic things to myself, I just want to challenge us here and now by saying that forgiveness is a hugely important part of this journey. It's a really important tool. And probably that word, as I've said it, for some of you, it might make you feel sick. But it brings us a level of freedom that we can never underestimate, especially as we talk with the idea of making peace with, our difficult, with difficult things. For me personally, as a young child, I've walked through many areas of trauma and pain. And anyone who knows me or who has engaged in conversation with me will know that I'm passionate about using that pain to help others, to cheer them on to the other side and say, hey, you can do it too. I'm passionate about others seeing their own story about redemption and restoration in their life. But I'm also not afraid to show my scars and say, hey, I walk this too. And because I did, I know that you can because God is with you as he was with me. This morning we'll be looking at the book of Nehemiah and walking through some aspects of where he made an impact in this area. Allowing his pain to birth something new. Something that took courage, passion and determination for the betterment of others and to rebuild ruins in the lives of so many. I want us to walk through the idea of putting our pain to work to produce a righteous outcome. We're going to look at how pain can be turned into something with great purpose that can outlive us in amazing ways. We're going to look that the P can stand for passion, that the A can cause us, that passion can cause us to action. That action must make us have an impact, and that impact will cause a new direction for so many. Nehemiah, whose name means Yahweh comforts, we're looking at, we're going to be reading Nehemiah 1 in just a moment. Nehemiah, whose name means Yahweh comforts, was cupbearer to the Persian king, Artaxerxes. He was a trusted and valued advisor of his council. He decided to speak up about the ruins that he saw for his exiled people. 
after the Babylonians came and took over Jerusalem. In fact, they completely turned their cities upside down and their lives were ruined. Families displaced and normal life was torn apart. In the modern day, we might liken these to refugees. People like you and like me. Jobs, families, homes, schools. A place where towns and communities were completely displaced with no one fighting on their behalf until Nehemiah receives this message. I'm going to be reading in the message version in Nehemiah 1. It was the month of Kislev in the 20th year. At the time, I was in the palace complex at Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, had just arrived from Judah with some fellow Jews. I asked them about the conditions among the Jews who had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They told me the exile survivors who were left there in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still rubble. The city gates are still cinders. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, in hearing the bad news about a people group he loved and cared for, whom he felt a sense of belonging and familiarity with, his initial reaction was deep heartbreak. He prayed, and as I've been reading over this, I imagine him talking it out with God. Reasoning it out with God. Possibly lots of questions, and maybe silence from heaven. But in these words, I see that he takes his pain and he's upset to God because he knows and believes that there is something that can be done. In his pain, a passion is birthed. And as we read on, and I'll paraphrase, he prays out to God and he says, I know we are, as a people have done wrong. We have been wronged and we have done wrong. I know that you are true to your promises, but I am asking on their behalf that you would be gracious to me as I pray day and night for them, that you would be true to the promises of Moses and that you would rescue your people. You see, this passion came from a pain that didn't directly affect him. He had quite a cushy job, I'd imagine, relatively comfortable at the palace, in good relationship with the king. But he did allow that pain to, to he, he allowed that to affect him on behalf of the people that he belonged to. You see, sometimes in life we can find ourselves in this position, not directly affected by someone else's pain, but able to intercede and call out on their behalf. Interceding literally means to stand between God and the problem and to pray through the gap. As we did this morning, as we prayed for Marok. And for me, those moments are particularly, you know, they, they touch my heart because I came from a Muslim family. And I know what it's like to be ostracized by your family. It is not nice, friends. And we must remember to keep praying for those that are on the other side of the world. It's what we often do here every week. Or maybe we have signed up to charities and bulletins, you know, that they give us bulletins of all across the world where we can see a need to pray. Or perhaps it's the way that we as a church love, stand and support one another on our journeys of faith, both valley low and mountain high. See, there's also pain that, affect, that we experience that affects us personally, that it can take us off course 
It can make us question our lives and those around us. It can cause deep pain and trauma. And in this pain, we can still choose to find passion from the cinders and ruins that we find ourselves in. The stories and vulnerability that I share today is not to make you feel sorry for me or for us. It's purely my experiences, and I want to share them into how they've shaped me to to be passionate about this area. They're slightly watered down because I'm aware that our children are in with us, and my children are here too, and so there's some conversations that I haven't yet had with them. And in fact, since Father's Day this year, I've had a little niggle in my heart. Now I've dealt with my battle with rejection, had deeper prayer for that. Some of you will know because I'm very passionate about deeper prayer. Seen that released over my life. But ever since Father's Day this year, I've just had this little niggle. And I thought, well, I'm free of this. I don't hold unforgiveness towards my dad anymore. But you see, over these past few weeks since Father's Day, I've been reminded that sometimes there's a few remnants or a bit of residue of pain that can stay with us. And in those moments, it's up to us to create a new habit to deal with that going forward. It's how we choose when I hear that little voice, when that little bud of rejection is just there. It's then how I choose to say, I'm free of this. I've walked through this, I've prayed this off me, and you have no power. I've had a few moments where I would like to know the answer, but I'm probably never going to. Where I would have liked to experience what it's like to get that warm embrace from a man who should love and nurture you for years. For the one who should protect you to look you in the eye and say, I'm proud of you. Or to know that there isn't anything that I can't pick up the phone to and call on him for. I've had those thoughts a lot recently. For those who don't know my story too well, there's so many components. But today I'm going to be concentrating on just one aspect of it. I come from a single parent family. My parents split up when I was three and my sister was just six weeks old. My parents then spent the best part of my formative years backwards and forwards, together apart, together apart, together apart repeating the cycle until they decided when I was 10 years old, that's it, we're not doing this anymore. Cue the messy, unhealthy, traumatic divorce, the one that uses the kids as the most expensive collateral. My dad and I have always had an interesting relationship, and there is no doubt that he loves his two daughters. But the way in which he's expressed that love is questionable. That's a good, kind, descriptive word for that. It's a good life-speaking word. I've spent a good part of my life living for his acceptance and doing everything I can to be a little more what he wanted. You see, being of mixed race origin, often, particularly in Pakistani culture, I'm not Asian enough to be seen as Pakistani and I'm not white enough to be seen as English. So this has meant that most of my life I've lost the sense of belonging that should have been provided to me by both my mother and father in what should have been the safe place of my home. I've lived not knowing how a proper family works and wondered if I would ever be able to hold down a marriage, let alone raise a family without ruining them. My dad spent years in and out of affairs and I watched my mum come to a place where she could just no longer live like that. Not for her or for us. However, she herself wasn't raised by an A-star parent and so she did what she could do. 
She was in survival mode, and she kept a roof over our heads as a single mother of three. She's taught me about resilience and determination in a way that no other could. But in the process, she was very rarely home as she pursued a very successful career in sales and provided in the best way she thought she could, which was by stuff and presents and days out. It's not a criticism, it's a fact. And at the time, we often find ourselves in situations that we think are totally normal because we've not experienced anything else. For me, fear and rejection, pain and tears were a huge part of my childhood. I have carried so much as a young girl into teenage years who was desperately seeking and searching for love and acceptance. I didn't know then that that could only be found in Jesus. And so went looking for it in many ways to self-medicate the deep heartbreak that I had experienced. See, when I met Jesus in 2007 through my relationship with F.A., I knew that I had a choice. I could either use my heartbreak as an excuse for the rest of my life, or I could use it to fuel passion and to show people my scars that they may overcome too. That causes us to move into action. In Nehemiah 2, we read from verse 1, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting behind, beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city walls for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. You see, here we see Nehemiah's passion outworked into action. He was so sad that his heartbreak could be seen on his face and there was nothing he could do to hide it. And I just want to pause there and give a bit of context because in this time it was in fact illegal for anyone who worked for the king to approach him with a sad face. He risked 
everything to approach the king with such sorrow. It was commonplace in this time for him to risk being thrown out of the palace. Doesn't that inspire you that he had courage on a different level? I wonder how many of us today, if we ripped off our Sunday masks, would be wearing sadness. Perhaps on behalf of another, ourselves, or a people group. What is currently making our hearts burn with passion? What are we thinking about or mulling over in our hearts that we're saying, not on my watch? Like we read with Nehemiah, what I love is that just before verse 3, he, he says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. And then he plucked up the courage and he said it anyway. You see, when we bring what's in our hearts from darkness to light, I believe miracles happen. We create these scenarios in our heads of why it can never work, it will never work. And all the while, God is waiting for us. He's waiting for our hearts to be intent with action. When asked what he wants by the king, he stops and the word says that he prayed to God. He prayed before he answered and then he responded with everything he wanted. Not only the task he wanted to undertake, but the equipment that he would need to make a seamless and easy journey. He moved from passion to action. But you see, with that will always come opposition. The warning for me in this passage comes in verse 10. For every time we're always wanting to move forward and take action, there will always be a Sambala and Tobiah knocking at the door of our hearts and our minds. And for me, it's often fear and rejection and shame going, you can't do that because that's where you've been. You can't do that because you've done that. You can't do that. And we have to break it off, church. We have to break it off. There will always be a whisper from the enemy of why we shouldn't have a seat at the table. Or why on earth would we consider fighting for others? What difference are you going to make? Or that we will never be free from the pain or the trauma, that it will always haunt us. Why we never may get healed if we're battling a long-term sickness. Or a little laugh in your ear saying, well, none of your healing requests have been granted, have they? I want to declare over us today, church, that when those voices and when those thoughts rise up, we need to speak out against them. I don't know if you've ever tried this experiment, but if you count from one to ten in your head, I'm going to, yeah, let's do it. I want you to start counting to ten in your head. And now I want you to say your name. I want you to say it out loud, sorry. We're going to start again. Let's count from one to ten in our head. And as I say, say your name, I want you to say it out loud. Say your name. What happens? You stop thinking. You stop that. You you concentrate on what you're saying. And that is what we need to get to grips with, church. We need to get the word of God. We need to get the passion in our heart. And we need to start speaking it out to know that what we are saying makes a difference. We need to check our circles. Who are we allowing to speak into our lives? Who are we influenced by? I've recently seen a post on Instagram where 
a young couple were, were dating each other. They'd had, in their lives, had deep levels of, of pain and trauma, both of them. And they, you know, got together, and um, one of them sadly um, ended their life. And in the partner's um, kind of tribute post, he put, we were pain partners. And they used to self-medicate with substances and with alcohol. A lot of people are living like that church. People are living as pain partners. They find someone alike and they get involved and they, they, they try to suppress their pain. And as I read that, I really felt a Holy Spirit whisper. How are you going to make a difference here? Church, our streets are in pain. Notably, different levels. But our neighbours... Our, our colleagues, our friends at the school gates, our uni mates, our, the students, the people we pass on the high street. And I've always wondered, as people walk past me, what's your story? I wonder what pain you were carrying. Behind the smiles and the tired eyes, I wonder who you are and what you've had to endure. See, these are the things that cause me to turn my passion into action. You see, I've been in situations all of my life that have made me feel that I should be victim to my circumstance. So many, I could recall countless things. But since even before meeting Jesus, I knew that someday that pain would count for something. I knew that someday the pain would be used for purpose. I knew that someday that pain would be used to inspire just one, maybe, that they can do it too, that they can be an overcomer. I can't explain it other than I just knew it. I couldn't see it. But somewhere deep within, there was this thing that this would be turned around for good. Once I came into a relationship with Jesus, even afraid, I would begin to ask and talk with him about so many circumstances in my life. And as the years have gone by, I've smiled knowing that if every experience can help just one other person, can help me to speak up for those who don't have a voice, then it was worth it. Can I also just say that if you sit here this morning with pain and trauma that is not dealt with, if that you've just spent your life pushing it down and suppressing it and pushing it down, one day it will rise to the surface, surface and it will come out some way. It might come out in your behavior. It might come out in your attitude. It might come out in your thought process. It might come out in the fact you can't hold down a relationship. Whatever it is, it will come out some way. And here at Skylark Church, we have the most incredible counseling teams that will help you process, understand, cope with these things. Our pastoral care teams care and love you. And if there are behaviours and things that are just not shifting, why not speak to the lovely Sue Gibson and get some deeper prayer? There's no shame in these things, church. We are a church passionate about speaking life, yes. But we also care about dealing with our feelings and our pain so that we can live healthy in mind and heart to benefit our communities. When we've walked through or, or, or continue to walk through the action, as we read along in Nehemiah 3, he's drawn a team to start rebuilding the wall. You can read in, through the different tribes of the Jews that joined in and put their hands to the plough. 
making a difference to not just benefit themselves, but so many for years to come. And as I was reading this, I imagined us. For every tribe I read, I imagined us, our great, big, diverse, unique, messy and beautiful church family. I imagine what the modern day text would look like for us, where each brick or doorway, floor, tile, window and foundation would be laid. And to add further insult to the enemy, I imagined under what banner of peace would they be made? There would be Murrell and Sons playing their part, Ade and GMJ playing their part, Cheryl and John Yarnold playing their part. There'll be Penny and Gary playing their part. There'll be Liz Jevons playing their part. There'll be the Bannisters playing their part. There'll be Liz McLaughlin playing her part, taking part. Roger and Judy, Aidan doing their part. I could go on for every one of you here. And before we know it, we're all rebuilding. We're all taking our place. We're all playing our part, seeing change for the better. You see, we are better together. Together, we can achieve great things. They may all be laid representing justice in different areas. But collectively, we will see a shift because we've all taken our place. You see, it's not Bear Murrell's job to envision us or just Pete and Nikki's responsibility for us to get behind a new project. And they are great things. But we can do it too. We can show compassion to people every minute of every day. Our world needs hope. And we can be the hope that they see and that they encounter if we will just choose to dig a little bit beneath the surface. You see, one of the things that I have the privilege of doing is mentoring Charlotte Clayton, who has taken over Flourish from myself. And um, I've spent some time delivering that in schools, and then I felt God saying, it's time to raise somebody else up. And now she does the most phenomenal job with in various schools across our county, across Chelmsford. And when we read those forms that come back for the participant feedback forms, we know that she is changing lives in the power of Jesus. She's changing lives. Because people have put on those forms, you saved me. And we know we're not Jesus, but it is the work of Christ living in us. I want to... Help others come out from the, the pain and despair that they see. And Charlotte is doing incredible things with teenage girls across our city. There is no doubt about it. Schools are being changed because she's there. And if you know me really well, I often talk of my deep, deep fear of getting married. I really didn't want to because I had this mindset of, oh, well, I'll save some money up in a separate bank account so that when he leaves me for my best friend, I can support my family. That is what I carried. And then we did a premarital counselling course and that turned itself on its head. But as I've journeyed on, you know what? I know that I have got justice here on earth, building my marriage and raising my family. How do you know that, I hear you ask? 
Because the very thing that was sent to take me off peace in the most important and formative years of my life have become the very thing that is a huge part of mine and FA's ministry together. Wherever we find ourselves, now we, we um, invest into young couples that are getting married and we help those who are um, battling issues in their marriage because we are passionate about having healthy, strong and fulfilled marriages here at Skylark Church. We're not, we, we don't want you to just coast along because that's what everybody else out there does. We want you to enjoy being married. And that's a huge part of our ministry. Investing into others. Helping others raise families that are with worship and Jesus at the center. Compassionate and kind children. It is so important to me that my children represent the values of Jesus wherever they find themselves. I know that's an area I should have failed on it on paper. If not for the grace of God. It's an area that makes an impact wherever we find ourselves. At the school gates, we have built relationship with some of our you know, school parents so well. And they, our marriage is a ministry to them. Because they, they, the way that we speak and the way that we conduct, and those things, that is a ministry. And on paper, I should have been written off. What area can you see in your life that is making an impact? Where are you sure that you are making a difference? And as I just come in to land, I want to look at new beginnings. In Nehemiah 4, it's in verse 6, it says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. As they were building, Nehemiah and his whole team experienced the toughest and most difficult opposition from Sambala and Tobiah. They did everything they could to knock the wall back down, to find a way for it to be redundant, and were greatly incensed when they learned that there was no holes and that a conscious effort was being made to build it back up in a strong and sturdy manner. For me personally, I know I have and continue to battle opposition. The whispers and the accusations are ready and waiting at every second. But there is one thing I'm sure of, church. I know that God has given me double for my trouble. That is a promise in the word that we read in our Bibles. I see it when I look at my family and the unit that we've built together. I see it when I look my husband in the eye and through the difficult times, we've remained committed to our marriage. It's it's to its purposes and to each other. I know because in October, we'll have made it to 10 years, which for me personally is a massive achievement. And all the people who have been married 30 and 40 years are laughing, aren't they? (laughs) I see it when I can be around my dad and feel nothing but sadness rather than anger. I know it when I can assist young women with belonging or identity issues because of the difficult life circumstances I experience and tell them that I've been there too. And I've watched you guys do it. I know Bev a couple of messages back touched on um, Gavin and Rhea McKenna, but I want you to know that firsthand, some of you will know them and some of you won't. I've had the privilege, FA and I have had the privilege of watching Gavin in his early days of his faith journey, making peace with his pain. 
we have, like a brother and sister, walked and talked and sometimes challenged him through his pain. Pain that, if I'm honest, nobody should ever experience in their life, especially not as a young man. We've watched him be courageous when he had no idea. We've watched him be courageous when he had no idea what family looked like. And then God, in his infinite grace, threw him headfirst in one of, into one of the best families you could actually ever want to be a part of. And for those of you that would know Jazz and Fitz Grant, they invested into their children and they have built a family unit that is special. That, my friends, is double for your trouble. It's falling in love with someone that is committed to changing the story with you in who he's found in Rhea. And that's what they now do. Reach Every Generation is an incredible organization that is changing local councils, schools across the nation, and young lives are being impacted. But because of Gavin's pain that he has made peace with, He's got this burning passion that has been birthed. And now they are saying, not on our watch for gun and knife violence across our young people. It's watching him be the most incredible father when he had no positive role models until much later in his life. And then Charlotte Clayton, who, like Nehemiah, is passionate, as I've already spoken about her this morning, about being a voice for the voiceless, for our young girls in our schools, where they feel they have to go with the status quo. She makes them stop and pause and think to see things differently. She's laying bricks for teenagers with self-esteem and self-worth issues, and he's seeing the most incredible impact. Just reading those forms, as I alluded to early, earlier, we're confident that we're giving them new beginnings. I can think of Rachel Dival, who I don't think is here this morning, and other families here in this church who foster and are soon to be adopted, adopters, laying bricks for those who, through trauma and difficult circumstances, have been displaced, but they get to be invited into a new, safe, nurturing, loving environment and change the story altogether. It's the likes of Pete Adams. Pete and Lauren Adams, who Pete was a trader in the city, loving life with everything that he wanted, and then he got saved on an alpha, and he developed a Nehemiah passion to assist families and children with behavioral um, issues and disabilities. He moved his family out of their home, and now they live somewhere else. And he has created in his, what was their home, the most incredible space, a residential school. He is doing incredible things. They've just got an Ofsted good on their, on their um, school. That's incredible things, church. He said, him and Lauren have said yes to God, no matter the cost, to get the justice for others. Or it's the desire as the corporate church to be better at supporting couples through infertility and child loss. Of knowing when people need a hug or nothing or a text or a call. It's asking Holy Spirit for the words to speak and for the overwhelming love of Jesus to be poured out. It's staying present enough for them to know you're there but being discreet enough to not think you're not there. We need to lay down bricks, church. 
is looking out for widows when life has been turned upside down. It's being better at mental health and well-being conversations in the church. A few weeks back, Rachel Dival was um, leading pre-service prayer. And she said something that I've just really been mulling over. And she was talking about compassion, that we all have different avenues of compassion. And she said she's pretty confident about what she feels that her avenue of compassion is. And I probably am quite aware that mine covers a few avenues. But have you stopped to think what yours is? See, one of mine is to be inclusive. Wherever I am, I do my best to look out for those on the margins. It's something we teach our children. That you, at school, you don't leave people out. Or at the park, you don't just make friends with the cool kids. And as I've written this message, I've been so aware that building a wall was so right for that time. And it meant that a city would be rebuilt and people groups would be reestablished. But we are in a time now where we need to be kinder, more loving, more grateful and more thoughtful than we have ever been. How about if our new beginning wasn't building a wall, but knocking down the ruins in our own life, sifting through the rubble to find the purpose in our passion that moves us to action, which creates the impact that we need to help others find the hope and new beginning that we all find in Jesus. I saw this quote this week on someone's Facebook, and it says, if you don't have peace on the inside, you won't have peace on the outside. If you don't have peace with God, you won't have peace with people. And you see, church, I'm convinced that if we can put these points into action, if we can choose to make peace with our pain, then we can live out justice matters mindsets in our everyday life as we are vulnerable and speak of our experiences that we have walked through and in some cases may still be walking through. There is something beautiful that can come from that. And sometimes we give up the right to know what that beautiful thing is when we make ourselves vulnerable. Sometimes on this side of eternity, we will never know the impact that we have but I'm game to welcome more people into the kingdom because I chose to share some of my story and you can do it too. The question in is, I'm in, are you in too? God, as we just close out this morning, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts about that thing that you've called us to do? Lord, sitting here will be people that will have a voice into um, equality and the equity that we've been talking about over the past few weeks. Lord, there will be people here that can make a difference in the lives of children, whether they are teachers or nursery assistants or um, youth workers, where, whatever that is. Lord, there will be people here that can make a difference in the pain of racial inequality, Lord. 
there'll be people here that can make a difference in the area of justice and entrepreneurship. There'll be people here, Lord, that can give those who have had a criminal past another opportunity. Lord, there, there, there will be so many people sitting here that represent your heart, that you want active and alive here on earth. And so, God, this morning I pray that we would be a people that are moved into action as we make peace with our pain. Lord, we love you and you are so good and so faithful to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.